This morning's scripture reading comes from the Gospel according to Luke. Chapter 1, verses 26 to 38. Listen to the Word of God. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How is this to be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Mark. Can you believe next Sunday is Christmas Day? Wow. Just a reminder, we have uh, Christmas Eve services here on Saturday, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and 9 o'clock. So we'd love to have you come. We'll have communion at all the services. We'll have the candlelight singing of Silent Night at all the services. So uh, love to have you here. And then the next day, of course, Christmas Day is a Sunday. And rather than having a worship service here, we're encouraging you to worship in your homes, wherever you might be on Christmas Day, with family and friends or others who may be gathered. Uh, we'll be giving out a devotional on the Christmas Eve during the Christmas Eve services that you can use on Christmas Day. You can also log on to our website on Christmas Day and uh, get a video message from me as part of your Christmas Day devotional. So that's how we're going to try to handle it this year, and uh, we'll evaluate and see how that goes. You know, Christmas falls on a Sunday very rarely, so uh, we're, uh, we're going to try something new this year and see how that goes. Also, I want to let you know, I have a killer cold. You know what I'm saying? Can you tell by the way my voice is sound kind of nasally and, you know. So uh, I'm telling you this for two reasons. Number one, if I pull out my hanky and blow my nose in the middle of the sermon, I apologize. And uh, number two, when you leave today, instead of shaking your hand, I'll be doing the fist bump. So uh, I've been doing the whole, you know, whatever that stuff is you put on your hands that, that what is it? Hand sanitizer. I've been doing that a lot, uh, but uh, I'm I'm just going to fist bump just to be safe. But uh, but uh, you can feel sorry for me though. That'd be great. <laughs> let's bow our heads and let's pray as we get started this morning. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to open our hearts to your word, and we pray that a word from your word would speak to us and encourage us and challenge us and cause us to go out and live as your people now and always. Our hearts are open and receptive. Do a good work, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Got a question for you this morning. How often, when you read in the Bible, how often does God call people to an easy assignment? Well, I mean, when you read the stories of, of characters in the Bible, where God appears to them, asks them to do something. How often is that something 
that God asks them to do quick and easy. Not very often, not often at all. It never happens. The reality is God doesn't call us to do easy things, does he? I mean, you look at Noah. God, God called Noah to build the, build the ark. That took years. And he had to endure the, the ridicule of his neighbors. When God called Abraham, he called him to leave his hometown and everything that was comfortable to him, everything that was, was familiar, and to go. God said, go to a place where I'll show you. So just start going, and then uh, I'll, I'll tell you when we get there. And then Abraham had to convince his wife Sarah to come with him for that. Not easy. You, you think about uh, folks like, uh, uh, like Joshua, who had to t- go into the Promised Land. He had to lead the Hebrew people across the, the Jordan River into the Promised Land. It took years to settle the Promised Land. And, and God was with Joshua, but it was hard work. And of course, Moses, before we ever get to, to Joshua, Moses has to get the people from Egypt across the Red Sea, across the desert, many, many years. My point is simply this. If you go through the Bible, the Old Testament and then on the New Testament, you look at the disciples, the apostles, the leaders of the early church. And if you read church history, here's what you find out. God doesn't call people to easy assignments. God calls people to do hard things. And as people called by God, we're going to be asked sometimes by God to take on a difficult or challenging assignment. And I I say that because this morning we're going to look at the life of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And a lot of times at Christmas, when when you look at Mary, people people start thinking about, oh, isn't it wonderful? What a high and holy privilege for Mary to be the, the, the mother of the Savior. Wasn't that a great thing? And yes, Mary was privileged. What an honor it was. But here's what else it was. It was a difficult calling. It was a hard thing. It was a tough assignment. And one of the reasons we appreciate Mary is because she she completed her assignment so well. You know, we've been looking at uh, at videos of different Bible characters throughout this season, preparing our heart for Christmas. Today we're going to look at uh, uh, the character of Mary telling part of her story. So I direct your attention to the monitors. As long as I can remember, we'd been waiting for the Messiah to come for us. My family, our tribe, our whole nation. I always knew that he'd come, but... Well, let's be honest. It's not like I'm from Jerusalem or someplace special. I'm just a girl from Nazareth. And everybody knows that not much good comes from Nazareth. Never has. I thought for sure that Angel had come to the wrong house with his announcement. But if that's what God wanted, well, who was I to tell him he was wrong? Joseph, God bless that wonderful man. He could have joined in with everybody else. He could have had me sent away. He could have even had me killed. But he just never broke the promise to marry me. And so when he had to go to Bethlehem for the census, I was honored to ride by his side. Even with heartburn and bloated cankles. And nine months of pregnancy behind me. (laughs) You know those women who try different things to induce labor, like going on frequent walks or eating spicy foods? What they should do is go on a bumpy 70-mile trip to Bethlehem. Because not long after I got there, and I'd never done this myself, but even I knew it was time. (laughs) 
and with every wave of pain, I tried to ignore the fact that my family wouldn't be there to help me and that I'd be bringing this baby into the world without the familiarity of home. But when Jesus finally came, I forgot all of that, though. I just wrapped him in cloths and tried to make the most comfortable bed I could for him with the only thing I had, which was an animal's feeding trough. Joseph said I should have been sleeping then, but I couldn't stop staring at him. one the angel had told me about. My heart was so full, I couldn't even find words big enough to express it. I know I'm not the first young mother to bring a child into this world. It's always been that way. But as I look down at my son, My redeemer. I knew that he would change everything because he'd already changed me. So if you're familiar with the Christmas story, you know that Mary is one of the central characters in that story. In today's scripture lesson, we read about how the angel Gabriel came to Mary there in Nazareth. Mary would have been about 14, 15, 16 years old at the time. And the angel says to her, you're highly favored of God. And then the angel explains that Mary is going to be the mother of the Savior of the world, the, the promised Messiah. Now, now Mary's not sure about this because, you know, she is... Uh, she is a virgin. She's never been with a man. She's she's engaged to a, a man named Joseph, but they've not been together. And and she asks the question, how how can I have a baby? And then Gabriel explains to her that this will be a miracle. This will be the work of the Holy Spirit. And it was going to be a sign to the world that the Savior had come. We call this the Annunciation. The Annunciation, because the angel Gabriel is announcing to Mary what God is about to do. And when, when Gabriel tells Mary what's going to happen, I love her response. She says, I am the Lord's servant, let it be done to me as you have said. It's an amazing story. And then, a few days later, after the angel is gone, Mary starts feeling nauseated in the morning. She goes down to the drugstore and gets an EPT kit Strip turns blue and she knows it's true. She is going to give birth. And what started in the village of Nazareth with a visit from an angel ends in a barn in Bethlehem with the birth of the Savior. And the world has never been the same since. And so we're going to talk about Mary today. And as we do, I want to first of all take just a moment to address this issue of the virgin birth. Because a lot of modern day people struggle with this whole idea of the, the virgin birth. People say that's not possible for a 
a woman who's not been with a man to become pregnant. We Anybody over the age of 13 knows how babies are made. She's got the egg, he's got the sperm. That's all I'm going to say about it, I promise. But, but it takes two. And uh, a young woman who hasn't been with a man is not going to suddenly become pregnant. But the point of the story is that this is a miracle, a supernatural act of God. And it makes sense because you notice when you read through the Bible, when God is getting ready to do something big, something important, to change the trajectory of human history, God often accompanies that with signs and wonders and miracles. And so this miracle not only was prophesied by the ancient prophet Isaiah, this miracle is God's way of saying, hey people, pay attention, something big is about to happen. Whenever you read of miracles in the Bible, they come for a purpose. They come to announce God's work in the world, that God is doing something big. But still, some people really don't like this whole idea of a, a virgin birth. And some, some say, hey, it's, it's not really a miracle. It's a myth. It's a myth. Christianity borrowed this idea of a virgin birth from ancient pagan religions where they have stories of amazing births and unusual births. And yes, it is true. You can find examples in pagan religion of amazing births, but they're not like this. Typically, those birth stories involve fictional characters in fictional places. They're understood as fictional. They involve some deity becoming a human being, seducing a young maiden, and having uh, relations with her. And through that experience, she gives birth to a half-god, half-man kind of thing. Uh, That's not what this is. This is real people. Mary was a real person. Nazareth is a real place. Bethlehem is a real place. Jesus was a real person. This is not meant to be interpreted as myth. In fact, when you look at pagan myth stories, you you, you see that the differences between them and this story make all the difference. C.S. Lewis, the, the great agnostic who became a Christian, was a professor of uh, middle, medieval literature and pagan mythology. He was steeped in pagan myth and understood how to... When he came across a pagan myth story, he he knew what it was. He assumed that the virgin birth story was a pagan myth until he read it for himself in Luke's Gospel. Luke was a historian, not a storyteller. Luke was a historian in the first century who was writing history. And when Lewis read it, Lewis said, I know myth when I read it, and this is not myth. This, This is history being written. Now, you can decide for yourself whether or not you want to believe. You know, I, I have, I've heard people say, well, really, didn't Christianity borrow this idea of the virgin birth from Buddha, who was born 500 years earlier? No, read the story of how Buddha was born. His mother, Maya, was married to King Sudadama, and they'd been trying to have children and been unsuccessful. Then Queen Maya has a dream, and in her dream, an elephant with six tusks passes through her abdomen in her dream, and then she's able to get pregnant a short time later, the natural way, and Buddha is born. Does that sound like this story? No. No. It's not the same. So uh, bottom line, I I just wanted to mention this because people really struggle with this whole idea of a virgin birth. Bottom line, you don't have to believe a virgin birth if it really offends your sensibilities, but here's the deal. If you do believe the virgin birth, because it's written in God's holy word and it's written as history by, by Luke, 
If you believe it, you're, you're not some dummy, unenlightened person who needs to grow up and stop believing myths. It's a miracle. And miracles happen, and God does miracles. And in fact, you know, you think about it. One of the ways I look at it is this. You can find hundreds of years ago stories about people getting in rocket ships and going to the moon. Hundreds of years ago, stories like that. Does that mean that we never actually went to the moon? No. And those stories have a lot, they're, they're, they're much different than what actually happened. But, but the point is, just because you can find ancient pagan myths about special births, that doesn't mean that the birth of Jesus didn't happen the way Luke says it happened. So that, that's just an important thing to keep in mind. What this is, is not only a miracle, this is also a very difficult assignment for Mary. It really is. You know, we, we talk about how privileged she was and how, and we admire her for being highly favored of God, but this was a difficult thing for her to do. First of all, she had to go tell Joseph about it. She was engaged to Joseph, betrothed. And she had to tell Joseph that she's pregnant and Joseph knows they haven't been together. Now imagine it, guys. Just imagine for a second, you're engaged. And your fiancé comes to you, and you and your fiancé have remained uh, celibate. You've not been together. And she says to you, hey, honey, I'm with child. And I know that sounds strange, but an angel told me this was going to happen, and I've been faithful. What would you think, guys? Well, we know what Joseph thought. Joseph was offended by that. He said, not only are you cheating on me, but you, you come up with this crazy story and expect me to believe it? Joseph decided he was going to divorce Mary quietly. Now, people people have trouble with that, too. They say, why would Joseph have to divorce Mary when they were only engaged? Well, in the first century, in that culture, uh, what we call engagement, they called betrothal. And being betrothed was not just an agreement between a man and a woman. It was also an agreement between their, their families. It was a binding contract, even though you weren't married yet, even though you weren't having relations yet. It was a binding contract, and the only way to get out of that was through a, a process called divorce. And so that's what Joseph plans to do until an angel appears to him and says, hey, what Mary is telling you is the truth. And i got to say, it probably would have taken an angel to appear to Joseph to convince him, don't you think? And now Joseph has to enter into uh, this, this thing with, with Mary. He's got to now be part of the story. And now that's going to be hard for Joseph. Because when word started to leak out that Mary was with child and she and Joseph weren't married and that Joseph was going to divorce her, everybody would be patting Joseph on the back saying, yeah, good for you. You don't want to be married to a woman who's been fooling around. Good for you. Now all of a sudden Joseph's going to marry her. So people are going to think, oh, now we know what's really going on. The two of you got together before marriage and oops, and now you're trying to you know, cover it up with a silly story about an angel, uh, Right. You have to understand. See, we who live on this side of the sexual revolution of the 60s and 70s, we don't appreciate what an incredible scandal this would have been in first century Palestine. This was a shame and honor culture in the first century. In shame and honor cultures, your reputation, your family name, it's everything to you. And Joseph and Mary's family would not have surrounded them and supported them. They would have rejected them. They would have wanted nothing to do with them. They would have ostracized them. They, they would have been offended by them. It, but, hey, there wouldn't have been a baby shower for Mary because nobody would come. Nobody's going to congratulate Joseph on Facebook. 
People would have been embarrassed by it. Joseph and Mary would have, would have felt that condemnation from the community. You know, in our modern times, if a teenage girl gets pregnant out of wedlock, uh, you know, it may be a cause for embarrassment for a little while in the family, and things might be awkward at the family reunion, but, but over time, people get over it and get on with it. And here in the church, whenever there's a circumstance like that, we, we want to surround uh, that young girl and support her and encourage her, not condemn her. But in the ancient days, in, in the first century, it was much different, much different. And so this would have been very difficult. And it's sort of a, this would have impacted Joseph economically, because he's a carpenter, and you could bet this would have hurt business, right? Because nobody... The word that would have described Joseph and Mary in that day was fornicator. That, that's the biblical word for having sexual relations outside of the marriage covenant, fornicator. And that's how they would have been talked about. Joseph and Mary, the fornicators. And nobody would want to hire Joseph. Who wants a, you know, who wants a fornicator hanging drywall in their basement? Right? They would not have wanted to hire Joseph. They would not want to have anything to do with him or Mary. This would have been a very difficult thing. Highly favored of God? Are you kidding me? I doubt they felt that way when they were going through all this. And then, you've got the trip to Bethlehem. Mary, nine months pregnant, on a donkey. It would have taken three or four days to get through the 70 or 80 miles they had to go through to get there. And when they finally get there... All the, the place is packed, everybody's there for the census, and there's, there's no room in the inn, right? Motel 6 didn't leave a light on for them, right? They ended up having to go to a barn where Mary goes into labor, laying on straw in a smelly barn, surrounded by barnyard animals, giving birth to the Son of God. Highly favored of God? I'm not sure it felt that way. And here's my point. Sometimes God calls you and me to a difficult assignment. In fact, I'll I'll go even further. If you're a Christian, there will be times when God will ask you to do something difficult. Something that is is a challenge. That gets you to a place you, you didn't want to go so you could experience what God has for you there. And here's the deal. God isn't punishing you. He's perfecting you. He gives you a difficult assignment because he knows that as he works in you and through you, as you carry out whatever difficult assignment it might be, you'll become the person he's intending for you to be. Right? I love, I love the way, way it's put in James 1 2. Consider it joy when you go through various trials and difficulties because when you go through those trials and difficulties, God is at work bringing you to maturity. And remember, we say this all the time, God is always more interested in our maturity level than our comfort level. Anyone who thinks the Christian life is is a call to a smooth and easy life is misunderstanding the call of Christianity. It's a call to do difficult things sometimes. The right thing, the good thing, the honorable thing, that's still a a difficult thing. God's going to call you and me to sacrifice sometimes. Best definition of sacrifice I've ever heard is this. A sacrifice is when you give up something you love for something you love more. And if you've never been in a place in your life where God has asked you to give up something for Him, where God has has asked you to get outside your comfort zone for Him, 
or God hasn't called you to do something difficult for Him, then I would suggest you haven't yet experienced all the fullness of the Christian life. The good news is when we carry out these difficult assignments, just like Mary, we'll be rewarded someday in heaven. We're promised rewards for the difficult assignments God gives to us. Heaven itself is not the reward. Heaven is a free gift. Jesus died on the cross to make it possible. But we're told that when we get to heaven, we will be rewarded based on our faithfulness to the assignments God has given us. So what kind of difficult assignments might you be in right now? I don't know. Maybe God's calling you to love a spouse that's not always so lovable. Maybe God's calling you to work with a supervisor who you feel is kind of like an idiot. Maybe God's asking you to deal with a child that's got some special needs. Maybe you've got to struggle with some health issues or overcome a financial setback or deal with a shattered dream. Again, God isn't punishing you. He's perfecting you. He's letting you go through the challenge of a difficult assignment to be faithful to Him when life is hard. Because here's the deal. If it doesn't challenge you, it won't change you. And He's all about changing you into the person you're meant to be. i got to tell you as a pastor, I have a very difficult job. I'm not whining. I'm just saying, it's a difficult job. Among the various responsibilities that Mark Montgomery and I have, one of those responsibilities is to stand up here in worship on the Sabbath day and offer a word from the Lord to you. I hope you come here hungry for the word when you come and anticipating that God's going to say something to you. But here's the deal. Some of you need different things. Some of you are here today and what you really need is a word of comfort. Because as you're trying to live out your difficult assignment, you're discouraged, you're weary, you're frustrated, you're misunderstood. You just need some comfort. Some of you need a challenge because you've gotten too comfortable, right? You've kind of lost your edge as a Christian. You're backing off from the the assignment. You're looking for the the easy way out, the smooth way, because you don't like the fact that it's hard and difficult. So as a pastor, I've got to do two things at once. I've got to comfort the afflicted, and then I've got to afflict the comfortable, right? Not easy to do. And so if you're if you need some comfort today, let me let me tell you. God wants to use you for a difficult assignment so that he can bless you. The very circumstances you may be cursing are the exact circumstances God wants to use to bring a blessing to you. Right? And if you're a little bit comfortable today, let me afflict you a little bit. God doesn't call us to be comfortable. He calls us to be faithful, and that will bring some discomfort into our lives. And the truth is, we tend to like comfort. I love the story about the, the halfway house on the Swiss Alps. You ever heard this story? Uh, in the Swiss Alps, there's a, there's a trail that leads to the top of a beautiful mountain, an amazing view. It, it takes all day to get there. You've got to start real early in the morning, and uh, you don't get back all the way back down till the end of the day. But, but to get up and see the view is worth it. But halfway up, there's a halfway house. And guides take uh, people on this trail. They start really early in the morning. And after they've been hiking about three or four hours, they get to this halfway house. They've had many miles behind them already. They're tired. It's time to take a break. They go into this halfway house, and it's warm. And there's a fire in the fireplace. And there's hot chocolate and coffee and juice. And they're making pancakes and bacon. And 
There's a guy over in the corner on a piano playing little songs. You go and people go in, they take their boots off, they relax a little bit, they get warm, they enjoy a nice meal and start to talk. And then after about an hour, hour and a half or so, the guide says, all right, time to go. Meet me at the door in five minutes. And about half the people, about half of them say, you know what? I don't think I'm going to go all the way to the top. I, I, I think I'm going to stay here for a little while longer and I'll just catch you guys on the way back down. And so the guide takes whoever's left and they put their boots on and they keep walking. And they get to experience something that all the others in the halfway house don't get to experience. In fact, when they come back down to the halfway house and they start talking about the amazing view and the amazing things they saw and, and their sense of accomplishment, the people who didn't go are kind of like, oh man, I, I took the easy way and I missed it. I missed it. Some of you have started to spend too much time in the halfway house in your faith. And some of you are missing it. Because you care more about comfort and security than you do carrying out a difficult assignment where God wants to use you for his glorious purposes. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. But that means an occasional difficult assignment That's what it means to be highly favored of God. Being highly favored of God means there are mountains to climb. There are things He wants us to do. You know, if Mary were here today, she'd tell us. We've all got a calling. And the calling is going to be difficult sometimes. may not mean that you go and sell everything you have and go be a missionary somewhere. It might mean you stay right where you are and do the hard work right where you're at. If you're a husband, God's calling you to love your wife well. If you're a wife, God's calling you to love your husband well. If you're a child, God's calling you to grow up in wisdom and and be a godly child who becomes an adult who loves Jesus. If you're a teenager, well, just get through that as best you can. But no, no, no. God's calling you in the midst of the the challenging years of the, the teen years to be a faithful servant, a witness. If you're an older person, God's not done with you yet. You're not retired. You're refired to do the work. What would a church look like if we as God people said, yes, God, I want to take on a tough assignment because I know if it doesn't challenge me, it won't change me. And what I want more than anything is to stand before you someday and hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. You didn't get hooked by the pancakes. You put the boots back on and you went to the top and you completed your assignment. Friends, as we approach Christmas, I don't know what, what you need right now in your life. I don't, I don't know what you're going through necessarily. Some of you just need to be comforted, so let me comfort you. God's not punishing you. He's perfecting you. And He who began the good work will bring it to completion. And you'll be so glad that you didn't give up. And if you're a little too comfortable, let me challenge you. You're highly favored of God. He's put a lot of faith in you. Put your faith in Him. And do whatever you feel like He's calling you to do. Because a day is coming when we'll be glad we didn't quit. Because we're well equipped for every good work. We have what we need. We just need to 
keep walking. And then we'll know what it really means to be highly favored of God.